You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, April 5th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. The California Report is in Sacramento with an update on arrests in Sunday's shootings in the downtown area and the conclusion of the city school teacher strike. In regional news, Brett McFadden announces he's stepping down as Nevada Joint Union Superintendent. In the debut of KVMR's Youth News Corps, reporter Fiona Baker looks into exciting new tech offerings at the Madeline Helling Library. We end with a meditation on inflation from Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from Sacramento, where the investigation into Sunday's mass shooting continues. Police this morning say they have made a second arrest connected to the incident. He's 27-year-old Smiley Martin, who was wounded in the gunfire and is receiving medical treatment. The Sacramento Police Department says he will be charged with possession of a firearm by a prohibited person and possession of a machine gun. Yesterday, Martin's brother, 26-year-old DeAndre Martin, was arrested in connection with the shooting. Meanwhile, the six people who were killed in the shooting have been identified. They are Jontaya Alexander, Yamil Martinez Andrade, Joshua Hoy Lucchese, Devasier Turner, Sergio Harris, and Melinda Davis. They ranged in age from 21 to 57. One of the victims, Melinda Davis, was a woman experiencing homelessness. CAP Radio's Chris Nichols has her story. 57-year-old Melinda Davis had lived on the streets of downtown Sacramento for much of the past decade. Until a few years ago, she would get meals at Loaves and Fishes, according to Shannon Dominguez-Stevens, who works at the Homeless Services Center. I do remember her coming in to have breakfast and at one point really struggling with um, just the number of people that were around, but her her demeanor otherwise was calm and sweet from what i from what i can recall the exact circumstances of davis's death are still unknown but dominguez stevens who runs a daytime shelter for women and children says homeless people living outside are exposed to a constant threat of violence she says safety is the number one reason people use her services for the california report i'm chris nichols in sacramento Out of the 12 people who were injured in the shootings and went to local hospitals, seven have been released. Meanwhile, the people of Sacramento continue to wrestle with the aftermath of the bloodshed. They include anti-violence advocate Leah Shank, founder of the nonprofit Impact. She's been focusing on the families of those who were killed. I met her yesterday as she was preparing to deliver food to the families. It's difficult. It's heartbreaking. It's nothing you ever get used to. You know, and we just want to make sure that the families have what they need. They're the priority right now. And then holding up our community members. A lot of people were here and witnessed that, you know, so it's it's a lot for this entire community. What do you think is going to be the most important thing to do in the coming day or two or three? Make sure these families are taken care of. Make sure they get their loved ones laid to rest properly. Make sure that there's some dignity behind their lives and their legacy. And just make sure that we're here for them. And try to make sure this never again happens. I mean, yeah, that's a bigger conversation, right? Yeah, and that's the difficult conversation because we have to give our community members something in place of where they don't feel safe. So we have community members that carry guns around because that gives them safety. We have to replace that with something so that they feel safe and they don't have to carry guns around. 
Again, that's Sacramento anti-violence advocate Leah Shank. And in other Sacramento news, the city's public school teachers and staff have called off a strike that had kept schools in the district closed for more than a week. Students were back in school on Monday, and the pivot point might have been the aftermath of this weekend's shootings. Janelle Salanga is a reporter at CAP Radio in Sacramento. You know, obviously I wasn't in the bargaining room, but I would imagine that, you know, the district really wanted to ensure that Students had schools to go to on Monday, right? So they would have access to not only the support that the support of having, you know, a classroom community, but also so that they could be supported by teachers, school psychologists and other school workers. You know, I imagine that that was a huge factor in the district eventually striking a compromise with the unions that did include a lot of what the unions were asking for, specifically around health care coverage for teachers. Janelle Salonga is a reporter at CAP Radio in Sacramento. The district agreed to a pay increase for members of the Sacramento City Teachers Association and members of SEIU 1021. It also will continue offering fully paid health benefits. Health coverage had been one of the big sticking points in negotiations. In a statement, District Superintendent Jorge Aguilar said, the events that unfolded in the midst of ongoing negotiations serve as a reminder that we have a role in working to prevent tragedies such as these. All parties are set to vote to ratify the contract later this week. As Sacramento teachers in their strike, teachers with the Summit Charter School Network are ready to start one if school leadership doesn't agree to a contract after more than a year of stalled negotiations. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Only around 10% of the state's charter schools have organized teachers' unions, and to date, just one has held a strike. But at Summit Schools, teachers are holding out for greater job security and increased staffing to help kids learn English. Janine Penyafort heads the union and graduated from Summit Prep in Redwood City, where she now teaches. Teachers do not want to strike, and especially coming up on the end of the year, we know the supports that students need to finish the year off strong. But it is getting to a point where we can no longer wait. Summit operates in California and Washington, serving some 2,500 students, grades 6 through 12. Summit's CEO and board could not be reached for comment. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. In Los Angeles County, Sheriff Alex Villanueva will be forced to testify in court over long-running allegations that deputy gangs exist in his department. KCRW's Tara Atrian has more. For more than a year, the sheriff has been fighting a subpoena from the county's inspector general to discuss rogue gangs of deputies in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. The alleged secret societies have used excessive force against citizens, among other dangerous violations, and reports of their existence date back to the 70s. Villanueva, who has openly feuded with county leaders about the allegations, called the summons harassing and tried to fight it in court. The sheriff's attorney argued that he'd been willing to only testify voluntarily if he was not under oath. His representative also 
also claimed the Office of the Inspector General's subpoena was an abuse of power. But now Villanueva doesn't have a choice. The judge has ordered the sheriff to appear in court within 21 days, and his testimony will need to be transcribed by a court reporter. While issuing his order, the judge said, quote, What's the problem? Let the truth come out. For the California Report, I'm Tara Atrium in Los Angeles. Sheriff Villanueva says he plans to appeal the decision. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, April 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Reporting from Sacramento, I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In regional news, Brett McFadden, superintendent of the Nevada Joint Union High School District, announced his resignation today in a letter published in the Union newspaper of Grass Valley. McFadden said his last day in the post would be June 30th. McFadden revealed he has accepted a position as deputy superintendent for the Monterey County Office of Education. McFadden has served as Nevada Joint Union Superintendent since his appointment on July 1, 2018. He had previously served as the Associate Superintendent in the Monterey Peninsula Unified School District. In his resignation letter, McFadden commented, The challenges and stresses associated with the past two pandemic years have led my wife and I to refocus our priorities and life expectations. McFadden said in his letter that the District Board of Trustees would begin to develop a leadership transition plan in the next two weeks. About 70 people attended a voting rights rally Monday afternoon outside the Eric Rood Administrative Center in Nevada City. According to a report in the Union newspaper, the rally invoked the memory of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. by including readings of his words. Five local nonprofit organizations, Color Me Human, the Peace and Justice Center of Nevada County, Earth Justice Ministries, Creating Communities Beyond Bias, and the Universal Unitarian Community of the Mountains, worked together to host the event. The Interfaith Food Ministry and United Way of Nevada County are joining forces to distribute free food on the second Saturdays of the next three months. Starting this Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon, Nevada County residents can pick up vegetables, fruits, grains, dairy, protein, and other food products at the Interfaith Food Ministry at 440 Henderson Street in Grass Valley. Food Access Saturday is open to everyone in the county, regardless of household size or income. The event will be repeated on May 14th and June 11th. Participants will need to show identification and proof of local residence. Turning to the weather, according to the National Weather Service, our region will have warm, breezy days for the rest of the week, with daytime high temperatures rising by as much as 20 degrees Wednesday. The combination will lead to elevated fire weather concerns through the weekend. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with a low around 48 degrees. Wednesday, sunny with a high in the mid-80s and a low of 53. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area tonight, mostly clear with a low of 29. Wednesday in Truckee, Tahoe, sunny with a high near 62. Wednesday evening, mostly clear with a low around 34. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland, mostly clear with a low around 50 degrees and north-northwest winds of up to 13 miles per hour with 20 mile per hour gusts possible. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 88 and a low of 53. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
Today, KVMR is proud to present the very first story from the station's brand new Youth News Corps. The four members of the News Corps are focusing this week on facets of our local libraries in celebration of National Library Week. Today, we hear from Fiona Baker, who visited the Madeline Helling Library to talk to Sydney Joyce about the wonders of the library's new tech center, including its popular 3D printer. The Madeline Helling is the oldest known library in Nevada County, founded in 1902. Recently, there's a new technology addition, adding some new age opportunities to the area. Will this futuristic expanse be popular or ignored? Here to talk on the subject is library adult service employee of seven years, Sydney Joyce. How long have you worked at this location? At this location, I've worked two years, but I've worked for the library for seven years now. Wow. Going on eight, yep. What's the most popular part of this technology center? I think the most popular part of this technology center is the fact that we have um, just free internet access available for people, along with printing. And currently, right now, we do have free printing available for people. How do you think this will affect the youth who visit Madeline Helling? I think it will affect them in the way that we have resources available where you can uh, look for jobs, we have resumes that are already kind of set up and that we can help assist you fill up, fill them out. We also have um, like driving test training um, online through the DMV. And we have uh, college resources testing and um, along with that whole internet and printing that's available. That's great. Yeah. What events are hosted that use this center? Right now we have uh, tech drop-in and that's the second Wednesday of each month and it's from 10 a.m. to 11:30 a.m. where if you have a problem with your um, computer or smartphone or um, any type of device of that nature um, we'll help try to get you on the right path of figuring out what's wrong troubleshooting or help train you with it. How many volunteers do you get on average? We have four volunteers currently, and that is for the tech a drop-in. Um, we, on average, we have about 25 in the library itself, but with COVID, we've been um, a little bit limited, but we do still have the four coming in for the tech class. Do you have technology classes? Yes. In fact, um, currently we don't. We're starting to gear those up because we just started our in-person programming again. So we typically have um, a 3D printer course that you can take where you can get certified and then have access to using the 3D printer itself on your own. Um, we have VR headsets and different things like that. So we try to have different technology classes along with um, we have a, currently a brand new one that's called one-on-one -on -one technology appointments where you call the library, um, just the Madeline and Helling it's being offered at at this time, and um, see if there's appointment available for a specific problem that you might be having with your device and you get one-on-one -on -one time with a volunteer or the um, adult programming librarian. Speaking of uh, the 3D printer, what's yeah. something interesting that someone's printed with that? One person did a Bob Ross head, which was pretty fun. Um, another person did a Dark Vader mask, a Dark Vader mask, and they actually had to print it because it was so large. They had to do it in two separate printings and then uh, glue them together. Um, the other really cool things that we've had that people have printed is one was a gentleman had a part for a window that he was missing and that they didn't provide the parts anymore and he couldn't find a replacement, so he did a 3D 
printer of the part that he wanted. And I had another woman that came in that has, you know, those tents on top of cars? Mm -hmm. They have ladders, and one of the brackets broke on that. And she said that the company, when she reached out to him, was like, can I replace this ladder? And they're like, well, for safety reasons, we can't send you a part. You just need to buy a new ladder. But she got all the specs on it and just came here and printed it herself and was able to keep using the same ladder. That's helpful. Yeah. (laughs) What are, in your opinion, the biggest disadvantages and advantages of this center? I don't really see too many disadvantages. I mean, maybe if it was like a little bit larger, but I mean, it seems pretty well suited for um, this location and our community. And the advantages are just the fact that you just, the beauty of the library is everything's free. So it's like, you just have free access. Even with a 3D printer, we provide all the filament. You don't have to bring filament in or anything like that. You can just use and access all these different device things available. We also have laptops that you can use, um, MacBooks and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're always ha- happy to help out. So, And my final question, how do librarians use this technology? We use it as far as doing training and helping our community have access to new and different technology that's coming up available and maybe just ongoing stuff. As you all heard, this edition is a helpful opportunity for the people in Nevada County who don't have access to their own technology. This has been Fiona Baker from KVMR News. This story was produced as part of KVMR's Youth News Corps with support from the National Federation for Community Broadcasting and the Community Counts Initiative. For more information about Youth News Corps, visit kvmr.org slash youthnewscorps. We've been hearing about rising inflation for many moons now. What's behind its staying power? In this week's Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti points the finger at the relief spending programs coming out of Washington, which don't seem to be going away. Mark explains why he's not a fan. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuniberti. The latest inflation figures recently released confirm what most of us already know. Inflation is bad and getting worse. In fact, it's the worst in 40 years. There are many factors causing this inflation. Supply-side shortages range from the lack of available workers to staff manufacturing and shipping facilities, soaring energy prices making shipping costs escalate, skyrocketing commodity prices driving input costs higher, the Russian crisis, of course, which is taking other commodities off lines, and trade restrictions on still other materials coming out of the Eastern Bloc area. Most egregiously is the monetary-driven inflation, which is a rise in prices due to government spending to fund the various COVID relief programs in the last two years. These programs range from massive unemployment payments and bonuses to the CARE programs, the Paycheck Protection Programs, as well as infrastructure spending and other various bailout and assistance programs. Seemingly deficit spending considerations, once a main talking of the grand old party, the Republican Party, of course, is seldom discussed anymore in the ivory halls of Washington by either party. To even mention a pullback in relief spending means the trap door to any politician that brings it up. Although Washington acknowledges, and correctly so, the many current causes of inflation, it misses entirely the monetary cause, which is likely causing a majority of the price increases the American consumer and indeed global consumers are witnessing. 
Simply put, after printing up over $5 trillion in spending in the last three years or so, the amount is so off the charts, it's a wonder inflation is not in the double digits already, although it is fast approaching that. To put a bullet point on the entire blindness of Washington when it comes to monetary-caused inflation, more spending programs are being bantered about by both parties, with the standard of living index plummeting the fastest in decades as price increases leap past wage increases. Washington is now talking payments to consumers to help pay for higher gas prices, with the option of repeating such payments should higher gas prices go higher still or persist for longer than deemed tolerable. Amounts discussed range from $300 to $1,100 per household, with little more detail at this juncture. No doubt payments to deal with higher food costs and what have you will be soon to follow. Not to be outdone, our neighbors to the north seem just as oblivious to printing press inflation as we are and announce yet another stimulus check. 500 bucks this time will soon be headed in the mail to everyone making $100,000 or less. No doubt with midterm elections fast approaching, elected officials everywhere will lean into the public checkbook to shower would-be voters with cash in return for their support at the ballot box. All this free money sounds enticing, doesn't it? But the question becomes if much of the inflation is caused by government spending on a plethora of past programs, will more future programs help the situation or make it even worse? The proverbial observational paraphrase comes to my mind where one asks, is the cure worse than the disease? Or in this case, is the cure the cause of the disease or even the disease itself? Concluding, many an analyst fear that because of the copious amounts of cash being rained down upon the global inhabitants of the world by governments everywhere, a monetary catastrophe is in the making. It will materialize in the form of, you guessed it, even more inflation. And this time it will be worldwide. Of course, it is already, isn't it? No doubt when that occurs, the Washingtons of the world will still fail to see the cause, which is money printing, and put the pedal to the metal once again on the monetary printing presses once again, and round and round we go, until the paper the money is printed on will be worth more than the number stamped on the bill. That's it for today's Money Matters. Snoozecast is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security and expresses my opinion only and not the opinion of this radio station its staff members or underwriters and should not be construed as investment advice. I hold California insurance license OL34249 and am a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's an all-new episode of Educationally Speaking. To mark Child Abuse Prevention Month, hosts Scott W. Lay and Kimberly Ewing invite Melody Easton, Executive Director of First Five Nevada County, to talk about the countywide collaborations that support and serve our children all year long. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weekday at 6 p.m. Check out our website, kvmr.org, to hear expanded versions of many of our stories and interviews. 
or listen to the KVMR Evening News and Steve Baker's Morning Updates wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR Community Radio gets support from you, our valued listeners, and from Chan Family Optometry. Dr. Chan and team provide comprehensive medical eye care, specializing in glasses, contacts, dry eye, and low vision, serving Nevada County since 1978. Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley, ChanFamilyOptometry.com, and Nevada County partnering with the FireSafe Council to extend storm-related green waste disposal. Friday through Sunday, final weekend, April 8th. Details at ReadyNevadaCounty.org slash green waste. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Have a great evening. Okay.